0: Failing is totally okay, and failing is amazing, but when you don't have that process to kind of follow when you do fail, the failure is harder. So you just want to minimize that risk.
1: Welcome to your Badass Journey podcast. This is Kareem Walsh, your business and life growth strategist, serial entrepreneur, transformational speaker and author. Each week, I share my practices, tools, methods, and conversations with Badasses I Know will help you align what you love with what you do. I believe living a badass life means consistently willing to learn something new, put it into action, and periodically assess what you need to shine a light on to celebrate or let go in order to be the best version of yourself from this point forward. Life is too short for mediocre compromises. Let's help you make it a badass one. Welcome everybody to your Badass Journey Podcast. Today, I have Lori Lefcourt. She and I met in a recent mastermind with Chris Harder, and it has been such an honor to just chat with her about her journey on how she became the founder co-founder for Unicreamer. It's a plant-based product that not only gets you a boost of protein, but gives you the right creamer consistency in your hot beverage coffee, tea, whatever it is you'd like to drink. And what I love about Lori's journey is that she really shares with you how she went from being um, raised in the Midwest, ending up in Manhattan, getting a job on Wall Street, the the stress and the commitment it took to plow through those years, to then discover that what she had as a calling at a young age to become an entrepreneur was now the time to jump into it. She started Unicreamer with her sister and the two of them are just in that entrepreneurial startup life right now. And so I'm so excited to share her journey with you. I hope you enjoy. Welcome, Lori.
0: Having me on today...
1: Oh, it's so great to have you with us. What uh, I'm so excited about. So Lori is the founder of Unicreamer and has such an amazing journey that the way I like to start the show, Lori, is for you to first tell your version of how you came to where you are today. And you can go as far back as you'd like, but really it's about sharing who you are with our listeners.
0: Sure. Well, I will. I guess I'm going to start with saying um, that, you know, my story, and it's funny because I was just on a podcast where I had to go through my childhood. I know, Karine, you were on the same one. And it kind of all ties in together. And being in my um, early 30s, it's funny. I never really thought too much into how that all tied together until now. Um, So it's really cool to be on here and kind of summarize that. But you know, as a child and growing up, I was—I'm from the Midwest. I grew up in St. Louis. Um, I was born in Chicago, but you know, just middle-income, average family, great parents. Um, went to public school. It was a mostly Jewish school. I was an okay student. I think I did every single sport in the book. Um, I was always very competitive, which I know is actually one thing that has made me be a pretty decent entrepreneur in my 30s is my competitiveness. I'm definitely not the smartest one in my class whatsoever. So when it comes to competing, that was kind of my thing. When it came to soccer, cheerleading, if you told me I had to beat somebody, I would do it. Um, So growing up, I think that competitive nature kind of led me down this entrepreneurial journey. And I knew that from a very early age, I didn't want to work for anyone. And when I when when I say early age, this was still in the early nineties when being an entrepreneur was still not that cool. It was get a really good job still. So I kind of felt like an outsider. And every time I would say I want to run a company, people would just call me crazy. And it wasn't an oppressive thing, which is crazy because now everyone wants to own their own thing. So yeah, I, I spent, um, a lot of time thinking about that, but not really taking it seriously. And, um, in college, that's when I really got that, uh, entrepreneurial kick. I went to Mizzou, so it was an okay college experience. I did the whole sorority thing, but I think I just felt very, very empty. And there was actually a, um, show called LA spray tan on MTV and so I, I was like, listen, this is a huge sorority town. I can knock out 60 girls within an hour in my mobile spray tan bus. And this is when I was 19. So I looked for small business funding at Mizzou. And um, I found a guy who said, I'll give you 2000 for your truck and your equipment. And I'm like, yes. Let's go. My roommate's name happened to be Ashley. My name is Lori, so we called it LA Spray Tan (laughs) for Columbia, Missouri. So we kind of spent a year or two thinking about it, wanting to do, and by the time graduation rolled around, we were ready to stay in our college town and be the LA Spray Tan Girls. As it turns out, this investor who's actually done a few small businesses in Missouri um, gave me an ultimatum. And he was in his 50s. It was either to be with him or he's not going to give us the money. So I was devastated. Um, And this was kind of my first um, interaction with a male in charge, which is kind of funny that I ended up on Wall Street for the next six years. But that was my first dose of, holy shit, you are really trying to take advantage of me. You know, so what happened was I decided to visit my best friend in New York since that whole spray tan thing fell through. I ended up falling in love with New York, so I never left. I had negative $40 in my bank account, but I got a job as a cocktail waitress. And I knew like, when you're younger, you just have that intuition. You don't think about it as much. You don't have responsibilities yet. So I just kind of went out there. I wandered around the streets and I found a job in the meatpacking district as a cocktail waitress. Um, until I, I gave myself three months and I eventually got a job on Wall Street. Um, one of the top brokerage positions at Canner Fitzgerald, they were actually the firm that was most affected in 9-11. So I worked for a subsidiary of them um, for about six years. And that's kind of where I grew up um, is Wall Street. And we can go into depth about this a little bit later. But you know, they're as lavish as the lifestyle was, and as, grateful as as grateful as I felt to be in this environment and to have this job where I got paid more money than I knew how to handle. I also was extremely miserable after about four or five years in, and I kind of lost who I was. I came in there and I was friends with the printer woman. I was friends with the janitor. I was nice to everyone. I was like, hi guys, my name is Lori. And people made me cry because of that. So I had to adapt to a person that I wasn't for the next five or six years. So that was really, really tough. And I think finally I met somebody Um, when I was 26. I went to Israel, ended up meeting a man, and he kind of gave me the strength to. Finally, leave Wall Street and try to pursue something I was passionate about. And while I was on Wall Street, because I it started to affect my health, I started to gain weight. My self-confidence was plummeting. I didn't know who I was anymore. I started to pour my vegan protein powder into my coffee every day. I didn't know how important this was until like four years later, but it was really the reason how I got in shape because, all this protein was actually keeping me full. I kept dumping it in my coffee as creamer. I wasn't reaching for pizza, for Indian food, for snacks all the time. And then four years later at a family function, my sister's like, what are you doing? Why are you dumping this clumpy mess into your coffee? And I'm like, this is how, this is my health routine. This is how I stay full. And it helps keep me focused. I don't know. I love it. Um, so we actually created something to help other people kind of kickstart their life or their health routine as well. Um, so we created Unicreamer, which is a plant-based coffee creamer and we launched in Chicago. So all of this kind of led up to this moment. We launched in March. We partnered up with Ben Higgins. I don't know if you guys watched The Bachelor, but we did a, uh, joint party with his company called Generous Coffee. And there are these little on the go protein packets that are filled with healthy fats. So, the highest quality MCT oil and plant protein you could possibly get. And we don't use any animal products, so it's vegan and dairy free. Um, So, that all of that story, and I'm so sorry that was super long, but that summed up to where, how we created our company
1: today. Oh, Lori, so much in that story we're going to dive into. And I really appreciate you sharing it from the beginning. First of all, you know, to have the, at a young age, the interaction of an opportunity dangled in front of you for an exchange of um, commitment to a relationship that would have been very uncomfortable, having that strength to walk away. And realizing like that is not worth it and, and knowing your worth at that time. I mean, I just want to commend you for making that step because it happens way too often, the indecent proposals of sorts. <laughs> and so it's really cool that you were able to see that at a young age and not fall into the trap. You know, because some sometimes some people have no other choice. So it's really great that um, you shared that because I know... There are a lot of women probably listening and also going through something like that too, where they maybe question whether or not they should pursue something that just doesn't feel right on the inside. So it's really cool to know that you had that in you super young. Right. And then also going to New York. So it's very similar. We have something in common, but I did the opposite. I went all the way to San Francisco. But basically when I finished college, I... Pack two bags and moved to California, not really knowing anyone and and kind of hustling to start my you know growth path in my career world. and um, back then, San Francisco was not as intense as it is now to navigate. and it was definitely you could kind of stretch your dollar a little bit than you could versus New York at that time. Um, but really, like what was it like when you first? Got to New York and started that hustle and started searching. You know, if you if you were to speak to anybody that's trying to figure out if they should move, try a new city. You know, um, in that age of you know early twenties. You know, what how would you you know advise them on navigating that process? Would you do anything different?
0: Yeah. Oh, I mean, that's really cool that you did that for in San Francisco. That's a whole nother beast. The West <laughs> is, uh, it's definitely another beast. I think, you know, if I could go back in time and advise anybody, what I did do right is I did listen to my intuition. I did listen to that voice and I just knew I had to be there and I didn't question it. And I think as you get older, you have so many more responsibilities. You have so many more inhibitions and you question every decision. I didn't really have time, or even the brainwaves to like question this, um, so I just went with it, and I was very successful for ten years in New York City, and I knew that would it would be that that would be the case. I think nowadays, if you are in your younger twenties, I think it's really smart with every single you know all of the high level jobs that people want, any sort of um, entrepreneurial journey you're trying to pursue. I think it's really smart to do your research beforehand. I think a little bit of intuition plus planning is something that I that I didn't do that I would go back and do. For instance, if I were to tell my younger self who's moving to New York, I would say, okay, list three things that you want to do when you go there and then list how you're going to get there. And mm-hmm. it might not be right and you might not be confident, but at least you have a path to follow and it can be three simple things. And that could even be get a waitressing job three months from now, make five contacts a night, get five business cards a night, have a follow-up process, start that process young. Because what that process is going to do is when you do end up starting that company or when you do end up working for that company that you've been dying to work for, you already have a procedure and process in your head that you know that works. And you don't have to keep figuring it out. Failing is totally okay. And failing is amazing. But when you don't have that process to kind of follow when you do fail, the failure is harder. Yeah. So you just want to minimize that risk.
1: Yeah, I think it, I think that's great advice because it's such a different time now too, at least from when I, I did the big jump to a whole nother city where I really didn't know anyone. I mean, this was back in the day where I had to search like newspapers. For jobs <laughs> and and you know and and then figure out who did I know or who did know somebody and set up meetings and and have just as many conversations as I could to find the next opportunity. I think nowadays you're right. Like there, there's such an amazing way where you can research, you can plan, you can you can even connect these days. There are all sorts of events happening in every single city, state, wherever you're trying to go to to research, you know, and, and leverage who's there already, if you can, right. to learn um, how to navigate best practices for that specific town. Like to network out in San Francisco is totally different than how I would manage things here on the East Coast, you know. So it's really cool now with the internet and you can search up anything and try and connect with anyone, right?
0: And like going like even further it's everything is so oversaturated. Every job everyone wants, every company, every the podcasting world is now oversaturated. It's trying to start a health company. We, we launched this in March. There's already six other competitors that started since we've launched. Wow. Um, every market is so oversaturated. So you can't really get away with going somewhere without a plan. Yeah. And that's just, I mean, fortunately... You can't, you have all of these tools at your fingertips to start something, but unfortunately you need to really navigate the space that you're trying to get into and know where that gap is or where you can at least get yourself in there or build upon somebody else's business because you, you're not going to be a uh, inventor anymore.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But all, I would also say like, you know, the other side that I'm seeing now in this day and age is that people think they know just because they're watching versus doing, you know, and and going to actually see these cities firsthand, do a short-term trip, like check it out, you know, and, and navigate it with Airbnb, right? Like you can, you can go visit and do it. And it doesn't have to be as daunting, you know, as like the way I did it, which was a one-way flight. <laughs> and, <laughs>
0: Mine was actually a two-way flight. I just never got on the next.
1: Nice, nice. <laughs> so as we jump ahead, then, so you when you did do the work on Wall Street, what type of job did it ultimately turn into? Like, what was the work you were doing there?
0: Yeah, so I mean, if you look at um, all of the Wall Street movies, it was very similar to that. So it was right. I was on the cusp of when regulations got super tight, where you weren't allowed to do phone trades, but. If you even look at my boss, this guy named Andy and his desk of 10 other guys and one woman, it was, they had this, actually, it was so funny. They had this amazing video of them, I think in 82, where the papers were flying. They were trading every time Morgan Stanley would trade with Deutsche Bank, they'd make (laughs) $5,000 and it'd be yelling and spitting across the floor and fuck yous. And I'm sorry if I can't say that.
1: (laughs) You're fine. You're fine.
0: That's how it was. Um, It slowed down a little bit. I started in 2010. So we were still trading over the phone. So essentially I was a broker for interest rate swaps, which probably makes no sense to most people, but um, it's almost like being a broker to a house. I'm just trying to find my banking clients the right rate to trade on. And then they can either make money or lose money on that spread. But I'm just giving them, you know, that number that their counterpart should get in the middle. So that was essentially my job. And then um, when regulations got tighter, uh, we weren't really allowed to do trades over the phone. It all had to be on a computer. So I was poached by the competing company and we started an electronic trading platform where banks from all over the world could trade on an option that we put together that ran for five minutes. So I covered Brazil, Mexico city. I was in a few times London, which I had to be up at four thirty for, which was awful. Yeah. I was, I remember even traveling to Brazil at 23, not knowing anyone. I don't know what my company was thinking sending me there, but yeah, it was, it was wild. Yeah. I
1: believe it. I mean, it, it, it's something that, um, you know, in those years, right? Something that I'd love to see when when someone's in their twenties and they're really taking advantage of every opportunity mm-hmm. and have the willingness to at least learn from it and then figure out what they want to take forward. So, what do you think the best lessons for you were during that time?
0: Yeah, well, I mean, there were so many. I will just give three examples right now. So, the biggest example was when I left. Um, the my boss, who actually in nine eleven married his boss's wife because he passed away to t- take care of their children, what? was like a second dad to me in New York. And he was also the same guy who tried to sue me when I wanted to leave. Wow! Um, luckily, my boyfriend at the time's mom was a public lawyer for three public companies and was able to get me out of that. But it was months complete bullshit. Um, so that was. A big learning experience because I trusted everyone. I'm a very gullible person. I was very like trusting everyone. I think is uh, worth listening to. I really am uh, that type of person, which most New Yorkers New Yorkers aren't. So I kind of was like, wow, I really have to um, protect myself. I love that I am very trust uh, that I trust people, but now I you know have to really listen to my intuition, um, a little bit more and, um, take a step back from the old Missouri lorry and, uh, not let people take advantage of me. Another thing, there are multiple instances on wall street where men would get drunk at holiday parties. Or for instance, when I was in Mexico city, I had one spit in my face when I wanted to leave dinner early in front of our clients. So, You know, it was, it made me tough. It actually, I'm so grateful for all of these experiences because no one goes through that anymore because it's not allowed, thank God. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really not allowed. But I got so tough so fast. Like, I do not take any bullshit. With our company, we deal with a lot of logistics, a lot of suppliers. If I think someone is taking advantage of us, I will know in one second and those people will be gone in less than one second. So that's something that I've, that I've definitely gained from my experience in wall street. My third lesson, I don't think this is an example was don't lose who you are. Um, I think in your early twenties, especially you don't know who you are yet. And you mold yourself into who you consider influencers or people higher up want you to be. And, that will kick you in the butt in your late 20s or early 30s when you decide to move on and you're not the same person as you always were. So I think once you start to feel uncomfortable on a daily basis, once that starts to be, once your friends and family are noticing that you're different, I would say take a step back, take a vacation, just Try to find out who you were before this experience because that will not benefit you in the long run whatsoever.
1: Yeah, I love that you bring up that lesson too. All all three are great. You know, the the discomfort on the job when there's conflicting personalities, you know, and I'm putting that mildly for what you actually went through, but it's constant in any really working environment, especially at such large-scale companies, you know, where behavior um can be taken to a certain extent that isn't being monitored or um spoken about, you know? Uh, and so to, to disseminate conflict by connecting better with self and like figuring out, you know, what are your values that, that you do cherish that you will always protect and make sure that you stand for them every day. Uh, and then switch environments if it's not the right one, right? Like it's. It's really important, and I think also checking in on your health. Like you're very again, where we have similarities in in our stories. That I, um, that first gig that I got out in San Francisco, became very toxic for me as well. And I was like, I was gaining weight. I felt like I was almost passed out at my desk. Like I was working day and night, and then ended up being in the ER even. But I still was so worried about. What was gonna like what was happening that day at work? Like, even while I was in the ER, like coming back home because I was fine, but you know, they didn't know what it was anyway. And I and I was still, yeah, I was still worried about like, oh, I gotta like call work and let them know I'm gonna be late and all this stuff. I mean, it was crazy stress because I was a highly responsible person and that is part of my value system, but it was completely getting taken advantage of, you know, and so I had to figure out my own boundaries, and then go find an environment that actually would allow me to grow and be that. And I was fortunate too, where I, I ended up resigning from that position because they didn't have a growth plan for me, like hitting a glass ceiling at 23. No one should go through that. That's the beginning of your career. <laughs>
0: yeah, but like in the careers that we had, it was the beginning of the end. Yeah. So, I mean, it's so
1: yeah. Hard
0: to a glass ceiling in those type of environments.
1: Totally. And then I ended up joining another company that luckily was like a subsidiary startup of a larger organization. So it had that energy that now you're creating. And I know you've been in other startup ventures as well, where there's this desire for everyone to bring their best forward. And then let's see what we can work with. Right. So tell me how you jumped into ent- your entrepreneurial life and you know, decided that now it's time... I know the product discovery of Unicreamer, but truly to decide to make it a company, a business, and, and put that forward. What was that like when you started to decide to be more entrepreneurial?
0: Yeah. Well, my whole entire life, I've been coming up with ideas. Um, I would call my sister on a daily basis and tell her about my new Cinegem idea or my new like popcorn couch. I I mean, it's literally the ideas were always flowing out, but I would never do anything about them or act on them. It was not in my family to do anything like that. You know, you got a good job and that was it. But I really did want to start doing, I wanted to start executing and I didn't know what I wanted to do. But I knew that I wanted to get started. And I think this is where everyone gets lost because when you know that you want to live a life that's more passionate, the hardest part is what am I going to do? But you are not going to figure out what you're going to do unless you try to do things. So what happened was I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that pouring that protein in my health and fitness were starting to really. Take a, we're starting to like take a huge stronghold like onto my life. What I want to do, so I'm like, maybe I want to start a personal training company. So right after Wall Street, I went through an Equinox course, hated it. So then I was like, you know what, that's not it. So then I was like, I want to start my own real estate company. <laughs> mm-hmm. Hated that. I was actually on Million Dollar Listing one episode. I was on the StarHand team, so that was interesting. Not my cup of tea, especially in New York City. So, you know, I was getting closer and closer to finding out. I knew that I liked the independence. I felt good about that. I was like, okay, let me list out five things that I'm passionate about and then five things that I'm really good at. So, the top of my list was animals. I loved animals. I loved the healing bond between animals and people. That was number one. Number two, I liked talking. I don't know. I'm a Jewish girl and we don't shut up sometimes. (laughs) I put these two things together and I started a podcast called Hound Vibes. And when podcasting just started. And I was interviewing million-dollar entrepreneurs in the pet industry. Um, Actually, really cool businesses. I actually uh, interviewed a dog walker in La Jolla who had a million-dollar dog walking company and went on to make a... Competing app with Rover, I interviewed a few rescues who got over a hundred thousand followers on Instagram, who were able to now make bank because of their Instagram. Followers. So it was a really, really interesting journey, and I learned a lot from doing that podcasting. I found the CEO of the company. I forgot the name of the company, and I'm glad I forgot because that guy ended up to be not a good person, but. He actually asked me to run a subsidiary of another startup um, that's actually really, really popular in the baby industry. Once again, I don't want to say the name, but it's a very popular baby industry name. And they wanted to start a pet side. So it was a great opportunity for me to learn how to run a CPG company on the back end, um, sales and marketing. So I spent a year running sales and marketing, but it was really only me and one other guy. So I had to do everything anyways. So that was really great experience. To be honest, I really sucked at it and we had no support, but I knew how to do everything at this point. And I realized that I hated the pet industry. Like no one is in it for the pets. It's actually just like the food industry, It's a big business. So I was a little lost, you know, I I wasn't happy, but I knew that I loved running this, but I didn't know what I want to do. And it was at that family dinner four years later where my sister saw me pouring the protein shake in. And we said, that's it. And we started a week later. We just started researching manufacturers. Like we were like, let's just execute on this. So we started doing it. We didn't know what we were doing. We just started Googling. And that was it.
1: And what was your sister's background that you, do, you both decided like you would partner in business on this?
0: Yeah. She wanted nothing to do with any of my endeavors ever. Um, She was always in sales. She killed it in medical sales and logistics sales in Chicago. She was a lot more down to earth than I am. Um, I think I can rule the world. And she's like, get back down to earth. Um, (laughs) So, But when she saw I was doing it and she saw how it kind of changed my personality and my body and my whole life regimen she was like, we need to like, help people with this. She like, felt the passion in helping mm-hmm. and also the fact that it was vegan. It kind of tied in our love for animals and promoting this vegan product because um, now we were able to partner up with uh, a lot of the shelters in Chicago. So it, it kind of combined our love for animals and our love for health and fitness all in one. It was perfect.
1: Yeah, it is great. And you do have a give back um, side to your business too. Tell us a little bit about that.
0: Yeah everything we do is like mission driven. I think that's why we get through our really hard rough days is because we know we're doing this for something bigger. Any startup, especially in the food business, the model like looks like this in terms of debt. And then in terms of profitability, it's like this until you finally hit it. So we wanted to obviously be able to give back right away, but we knew we would never have the profits within the next couple years to do that. So instead, what we did was we found a way to help set up shops at a lot of shelters and help them um, and help support their business until we could actually support theirs. And we also partner up with companies that can't afford to give back and that's where we donate a lot of our product to their events. And that's why we teamed up with Generous Coffee. They actually give back to women in third world countries and help them find jobs. So we're like, yeah, it's not animals, but this is like one of the most insanely amazing um, charities that I've ever heard of. It's helping women get jobs in these third world countries where they're clearly don't have the freedom that we have here. So that was a no-brainer. So we found different ways to give back in our very early stages of business.
1: I think that's great because when you have a mission-driven business, it does get you through the hard times. You know, as as an entrepreneur, especially running a food, uh, you know, food and beverage uh, product, it's it's a challenging market to be in for sure.
0: It is so rough, like. Every single aspect every day is a new nightmare. I'm not making this up. I love what I do. I love, I would not change my life, but every single day we'll have a company lose a third of a product. We'll have our shipping company not ship any orders for a week. We will have a store selling our single packet at $10. It's never ending, but at the same time, like the fact that we have this mission that we go back to every single day keeps us going. And then we have some amazing advisors like Chris Harder is one of our advisors. We're, we have some of the Rx guys helping us too. Um, they had a really, really big year um, a couple of years ago. So yeah, we have some really awesome people help guide us when, we, when times get rough essentially.
1: Yeah. I, you know, it's building that, that entrepreneurial tribe, right? Like we all know what it feels like. It's also the ability to lean on others to get through it is really important, you know? And I know you're like couch surfing too, right? Like you're, yeah. it's kind of like you, you've become this corporate gypsy or entrepreneurial gypsy for yeah. the formation of this business to, to help it
0: Oh my gosh. That is one thing that I will tell people. Okay. So I am living. So I went from a cushy lifestyle in the Upper West Side, literally right by Central Park, back to living with my sister in her bedroom, packing orders in boxes at four in the morning. So any advice, and this is another piece of advice. If you are looking to get into business and you are working a full-time job, Save your money. I did not do that. I was making Wall Street money, and it was gone in a year. It
1: was gone in a year. Yeah, Manhattan can siphon your wallet really quickly, though. <laughs> like, like, like it's, it is part of the the fees of living in the city. There's so much eye candy to, to you know, that calls you to keep up with you know, the pace of New York. So it makes sense. But I love that advice because saving and um, for the investment you want to make and the life you want to have is so important. Yeah. You know, I think especially now, you know, New Year's kicked off and it's like people always put the goals of what they want to earn, but it's rare that they put the goals together on... What they want to invest in in order to take their life, their business, their everything to that next level. And then the other thing I also have added recently in my own kind of strategic planning for the year is like, how much do I actually want to contribute this year? So that give back model that you have, you know, to also align not only revenue goals for a business, but what's the contribution goal? You know, like, can you make that 20% of your business actually give back? you know, or what would that look like? And that's actually what keeps you pushing, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. You're so right. Investing in yourself. I mean, I didn't know you at the time and I, if I would have known you, I would have invested in you as a coach. I hired a business coach right away while I was still working, um, who could help me adapt that mindset again to start a business. And he helped in some ways and he didn't. I think it's really also important to make sure that, you're know you going with the right coach that's a fit for your personality. But I think, yes, investing in a coach or a mentor is 100% essential. And that's one thing that a lot of people don't do. I actually just had a girl reach out to me. She's a friend in LA and she's a year younger and she hates her job. Um, She doesn't want to leave LA, but she's kind of in this standstill of life where she wants to start her own fashion company Very smart, but you know, she feels stuck. Mm -hmm. I told her today, I was like, give yourself a six month plan. Don't quit your job right now. Don't. Yeah. (laughs) I did. Um, Give yourself a six month plan. Include a coach or mentor on there. Find one of those. Make a plan to start doing something that's going to get you closer to what you maybe want to do with fashion. So whether that's starting a podcast, that could open up ideas, that could get you connections. You're already starting to talk to people in that world. Reach out to them, talk to them, find any excuse to talk to them. Find that six-month plan and include a coach or a mentor in there. And then make sure that by month six, you find your exit strategy and you're comfortable by then. And look at this plan every single day. And I think, I wish that I had something like that when I... Was planning on leaving Wall
1: Street. Yeah, it's a really great framework. Sometimes, though, when the environment is so toxic, you just need an out before you can actually see clearly, right? And, you know, luckily you do have such a strong family structure, like you could go back and visit with family and spend time. But I love that advice that you gave um, this woman who is, you know, at the cusp of change. How to navigate the change. And what you literally laid out for her was a framework, a strategy to just at least get clearer on what it is in, that she wants to go towards to not feel so stuck. Because I always coach people to say, you know, if you're in action, you'll, you're, you're moving forward and you're learning, heading you towards what it is you really want. If you just sit there and think about it, And then think about it again. And then just like marry the story of what's not working and the fact that you're stuck, then yeah, you are, you know, like...
0: (laughs) You need to be stuck. Yeah. I mean, and it's really tough because you have to put yourself out there. Like you, I think it's really easy to write things down and then sit on your couch and be like, well, I wrote down what I want. No, you have to like go to these events. You have to have a plan when you go to these events. Yeah. Talk to people. You have to get them to sit down with you. Like you, it's not going to be easy because there are millions of other women that want to do a fashion business, but the ones that make it are the ones that end up talking to the ones at the top to get that deal, to do their business. It's all about who, you know, it's all about who, you know, it's not about how smart you are. It's not about what you have. It's about who you know.
1: Yeah. And also I think how you show up, right? Like, you know, the, the relational connections that you can make with anybody in your network that is aligned with the direction you want to go in is such, it it like literally changes the trajectory of what you can see happen. It's why we join masterminds, right? Like it's why we go to different trainings or events or, you know, to connect with the, the people who've gone before us because, the story that you know your soul is calling you to do is something that has ha- someone else has probably done you can go learn from those people and the uniqueness is what you bring to the table your journey your ways of articulating so i love that i love that you gave her that advice and i'm sure she benefited tremendously from it because it's, it's awesome. You know, like anything we could do to help other people navigate through their journey. That's, that's the best part of our own evolution.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's very fulfilling. You know, you need to help people do what you've already done. And then,
1: you know... Be a mentor, yeah.
0: Or a mastermind where we have people who can also help us get to that next level too. So it's all kind of a ladder of... Um, Giving a giving ladder.
1: <laughs> so, tell me where we are today with Unicreamer. What are you currently trying to accomplish? And, you know, how can our listeners connect with you and also, you know, get access to this amazing plant based creamer? I mean, I'm, I'm in love with it. <laughs> um, I'm so happy. Love it. Yeah. Well,
0: I'm definitely going to bring some to the mastermind when we go at the end of the month. So, right now we launched um, last March, so we've been nine months in business, but we already got accepted into the Good Foods Accelerator in Chicago. Um, They take some of the top food companies that they think will do really well and also abide by using conscious ingredients um, only sourced from very um, reliable places in the US or if it has to be sourced outside. They're very particular in who is able to join based off of our ingredients. And then um, we also have some really cool publicity, which I cannot say, um, that will hopefully uh, air within the next couple months. So that should be exciting. Um, And we are now in grocery stores all over Chicago, and we're looking to expand um, on the coast soon. When we can afford it, <laughs> so um, yeah, we're we're very excited. And you can buy Unicreamer on Amazon or in our store at www.unicreamer.com. And I will give you guys a discount code if you do buy. It will be Kareen twenty. So if you type that in, you'll get twenty percent discount. And we really hope that you know it helps you structure your mornings a little bit better. That's that's definitely our um, for our future customers.
1: And it's, it's not just for coffee, right? You can actually put it in any hot beverage, cold beverage, like let, let folks know because not everyone's a coffee drinker, unfortunately.
0: (laughs) Yeah. We have, um, people putting our mocha, especially in tea as a nighttime tea. So it's sugar-free. Thanks for bringing this up. I always forget to talk about these details. Um, Sugar-free, dairy-free. So it's a really good dessert that you can pour into your tea at night. Um, I like it in jasmine tea. My sister likes it in peppermint tea. So it's um, a really great flavor. I know Lori Carter puts it over her um, yogurt and ice cream, the mocha packets. And you can also just use it over oats or any sort of topper where you want that MCT and key protein. So we only use five ingredients or less. Um, there are no additives in our creamer. So we're the only creamer on the market that doesn't have sugar, that doesn't have any additives whatsoever, not even silicon dioxide, which a lot of companies will say our product's all natural, but they use one of the number one additives that is super harmful to your body. So we made the conscious decision to not use any of those.
1: I think it's awesome. And I'm I'm so excited to, you know, watch your company continue to grow, but also the impact that I know you're having in this field of industry, but also just as, you know, women partners in business trying to put really great products out into the world. Like it's gonna go far, Laurie, And I'm so excited for you.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Before we close out today's podcast, I always love to ask this question. Um, you know. How do you characterize a badass?
0: Ooh, A badass is somebody who, no matter what situation, always acts with integrity and fairness and kindness. And when you're able to go into a situation and always keep those three things on point, I feel like that's where you're really a badass. Or man.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Thanks so much for joining me today, Lori. It's great to share you with everybody. Yeah,
0: thank you so much for having me.
1: Thank you for joining me today. Before you move on to the next episode, please post a review or share this episode with someone you think would appreciate it. Your feedback and support mean everything to me. For more information, check out yourbadassjourney.com or kareenwalsh.com. I truly believe everyone is capable of living a badass life. Thank you for listening.